Thank you, guys. All right. It's only an hour. It's going to be less than about 45 minutes for me, 50 minutes for me today. Jordan Scruggs. Jordan's a busy man uh, drinking out of a fire hydrant right now with uh, with portal going on. Jordan, any portal news drop in the last, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes since I've been trying to, trying to get my equipment situation sorted out here? Um, no, uh, no, I only not. ask is like in that time frame when you put down the phone, that's usually when something happens. So, yeah, no, um, nothing, no one big as of this morning that I've seen. I also haven't gone through our database and looked at who we have in the portal. I'm going to do that right now. Um, kind of started the show off whenever you were figuring out your mic, uh, with them talking about the portal just because, uh, they had a question about Trey Moore. Um, He's a guy I that I wanted to talk about today for sure, yeah. Yeah, so um, yesterday morning I spoke with a source who told me that uh, Texas was their preferred destination. Um, now, obviously, that was within an hour from entering the portal. A lot of things can change. And also, just because players – I wrote about it, but just because players want to come to Texas doesn't mean Texas wants them as good mm-hmm. as they can be. Uh, it has to go both ways, and it has to be a fit. Um it's got to be a need too, you know, like exactly, exactly. At, I mean, if Texas, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, I'm not saying this is this would be Trey Moore's role, but if you're looking for a guy to maybe start out as a situational pass rush guy, that could maybe grow into something. Um, I mean, you got Colin Simmons coming in next year. Where, where are you better off as a staff devoting your, you know, your manpower, your hours, your resources and a Trey Moore you might have for a year or Colin Simmons, who you're going to have for, you know, hopefully three. So, yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah I'm the not biggest... saying that's the case. I'm not saying that's the case. That's just yeah, yeah. things staffs have to consider just because people, people will twist my words, Jordan. They'll twist. They'll be, oh, Jeff said you know, Texas doesn't want Trey Moore because they want to, they'd rather develop Colin Simmons. It's not what I'm saying. It's, it's a hypothetical. But that stuff, those are the conversations, Jordan. You know this stuff well enough. And, and I mean, the portal has now been like it's it's hard to it's hard to think back to what it was like before the portal. This is the conversation that these college staffs have. Like these are these are real legit conversations that are going on in uh, in war rooms right now. Yeah. Um, so th- I guess to answer your question, the biggest uh, name portal guy that's entered this morning or today is Nyland Green. He was our number nineteen player for the uh, twenty twenty one class, number two corner, number three player in Georgia. Georgia's where he signed out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, by the composite, he was a four-star, number 72 in the country, number four corner, number eight in Georgia. Um, I assume people are going to ask about Texas. Couldn't tell you. I don't – to be honest with you, I didn't even know this guy existed until this morning. <laughs> I'll, um, tell you the, I'll tell you the interesting one that popped – Texas out. did offer him out of high school, though. Yeah. The interesting one that popped, yeah, I believe it was yesterday. I don't remember if it was during our show or later in the afternoon – but Jaleel Skinner from Miami, just because tight end, tight end could be a place where Texas looks. And, the, you know, the staff recruited him out of high school. So, you know, it, it's at least a name that from from covering Texas recruiting in recent years that people are familiar with. So, intriguing yeah. if nothing else. Yeah, so then as soon as we saw that he was in the portal, we checked in with people at Texas, Hank and I did. And within 10 minutes, we were both told like very big nose. They're not going to go after him. See, So I was also going to report about that today and I'll, I'll have something out after we get off the air, but uh, I guess back to Trey Moore. Um, so 
you know, while I was told yesterday morning that Texas was his favorite school, some things have definitely changed. Um, you know, I'm not saying Texas isn't still maybe where he'd like to end up with all the uh, uh, ca- characteristics of each school are the same or whatever, if that makes sense. He had the same things going on from each school. But um, LSU, Bama, and Texas are the ones to watch. Um, for him, graduating in December is really important because he's already been in college for three years. And um, he wants to be able to graduate in December so that whenever Monday or January comes, he can uh, just get right into combine prep and training for the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That said, a, kind of a, an element of the portal that isn't talked about a lot is like credits um, because graduating for a lot of these guys is important. Um, couldn't tell you exactly what his degree is. I didn't ask or what his major is, but I was told that out of Alabama, Texas, and LSU, uh, Texas is actually where the least of his credits would transfer, which I found pretty strange um, yeah, because, yeah. you know, UTSA is in the University of Texas system. Um, but apparently, uh, you know, out of LSU and Alabama, that is where his credits, his tra- his credits would translate the least. And if he were to go to Texas, he wouldn't be able to graduate in December. Um, so that said, that that's going to, uh, you know, it, it has an effect on it. Um, there's a lot of days left still for him, and I doubt a decision will be made anytime soon. Um, also reported that while I was told that Texas was his preferred destination, I hadn't checked in with anyone at Texas to see if they, you know, how they felt. Uh, did get word that they are definitely going to push for him, which, you know, I heavily assume, but at the same time, I don't want to report on that unless I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, they're going to push for him. Uh, 14 sacks last year will be one of the top edge guys in the portal for sure. Um, And, uh, yeah. Uh, We do have a new portal entry, Jordan, for the Longhorns, and this is one that he participated in senior night. I don't think it's that big of a surprise. Um but Sawyer Gorham Welch is uh, is headed to the portal. He said he's going to finish out the season. I'll just read his statement that he posted on on the social channels. This is on on X. Uh, my four years here at UT is something I will always remember for the rest of my life. With all the brothers I've gained, all the coaches I've had, with all the lessons I've learned, the experiences I've experienced, and for seeing this team, I don't know why I just thought Kenny Powers right there. I don't mean to uh, take away from Sawyer Gorham Welch's moment, but I just had a real Kenny Powers vibe. Uh, and for seeing this team grow to what it is today, it all means so much to me. But that being said, my time here must come to an end. I will finish this season with my brothers. I'm graduating this December and entering my name into the transfer portal as a graduate transfer with two years of eligibility left. So there you have it. Again, Jordan, that's not a that's not a surprise. Again, a guy that participated in senior night and uh and is gonna move on to to whatever's next for him. Wow. Um Sorry, we're going to talk about that for sure. But um, one, Princely Iman Mielin, apologies if I said his name incorrectly. You're, you're closer than, than most people. Yeah. He's entered the portal uh, from Florida, which mm-hmm. is very interesting because I know he's weighing leaving for the draft. And he did have a draftable grade last year, but it, um, you know, he didn't like it enough. So he came back. But I guess now he's going to come back into a fifth year um, somewhere else, though. And then also, uh, Zenitz, um, 24-7 Sports' is Matt Zenitz reported Mississippi State is expected to hire Alabama assistant Coleman Hutzler as its new defensive coordinator, a source sells 24-7 Sports. Hutzler and new Mississippi State head coach Jeff Levy worked together at Ole Miss. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Oh. 
Ross uh, Dellinger, Dellinger, whatever it Dellinger. is from Yahoo is first. Um, yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, it makes sense for Coleman Hutzler. You know, I think people need to, when, when you're looking for a position coach opening and you just say, well, let's go, who's the linebackers coach it? And, and just kind of start running down schools that are in the playoff or, or in the top five or the top 10. Uh, you know, Glenn Schumann's name from Georgia got brought up. I'm like, dude, Glenn Schumann's not coming to Texas to, to be a co-DC at this point. If Glenn Schumann's on the move. It's to run his own program. Uh, Coleman Hutzler is on the move so he can be a defensive coordinator with play calling duties. He wouldn't have gotten that at Texas. Um, you know, if you're the linebackers coach at Bama and you're the linebackers coach at Texas, regardless of what you think of either program, that's a lateral move, especially for Coleman Hutzler to come back to Texas where he was already at one point. Uh, he was on the, the last year, Tom Herman's last year, he was on that staff. So, again, Jordan, I think you astutely pointed out yesterday, uh, this is going to be PK's hire. It, it's probably most likely going to be somebody that he's worked with. I did check uh, I did check in with somebody on the West Coast because, you, you know, names get thrown out like Peter Sermon, guys that Sark has worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. And my big question was guys that were with Sark at Washington, especially guys that were with him at USC, you know, what is that situation like? Because I know for some of those guys, you know, it, it was what it was. I mean, we're not going to, you know, uh, you know, dig up Sparks past from USC again and and run that down. But, you know, there were some coaches that probably felt like, hey, man, I came here to work for you, and now my job is in jeopardy. I have an uncertain future for something that I had no control over if you're an assistant coaching program. But I talked to somebody on the West Coast that told me two things that were interesting. One, um, as far as they knew, a lot of those fences had been mended because um, a lot of those coaches that were on Sark staff, they went on and, you know, some of them, you know, Clay Helton, for example, been a head coach. Some of them been coordinators. Some of them moved on and got another job, stayed in the college game, whatever. So uh, it sounded like a lot of those fences have been mended. Peter Sermon's name came up. He's the defensive coordinator at Cal. Um, this person just thought that Peter Sermon is so very, very tight with Justin Wilcox, the Cal head coach, that even if Texas, whatever they gave him, it probably wouldn't be enough to, to pull him away from, from Cal. Uh, Cause again, he's very tight with Justin Wilcox. So again, I, I think it's just all roads, Jordan Connolly, unless you want to go, you know, if you're Sark, you want to try to push the Mike Stoops thing again. Um, you know, some, somebody brought up Charlie strong. I mean, well, him and Sark did work together at Bama for, for one year with Charlie, Charlie was an analyst there, but you know, it, it seems like all roads are leading back to it, it makes the most sense based on the available candidates that this is PK's hire somebody who's he's worked with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still need to go through and do that. I'll probably actually try to get someone up on that today because I do want to have something on his side about uh, the job being open. Um but yeah, uh, the Sawyer Gordon Welch stuff was pretty interesting. Um, what 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 what's interesting about it to you? Kind of that he is still trying to play football. Like I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but no. it's that he's still trying to play football. Um, yeah. Like he's been at Texas four years now, right? He's two years left, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been moved around both the line and D line. It like I'm just not sure. Respectfully, I'm not sure who's going to want him. Um, it looks, you know, you know he'll, have, he'll have a place to go, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just honestly kind of surprised he wasn't just kind of 
I guess, going to graduate and, you know, be a regular citizen. I mean, that, that was what I was expecting. Well, I mean, if he wanted to go back to East Texas, for example, um, you know, Stephen F. Austin could be a place where he looks at. I mean, I'm just throwing names out there. Uh, but I think maybe like, in, you know, an FCS or, uh, yeah, as Glenn points out, you know, if he wants to work on his master's degree, he can get that paid for. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you've got, you've got, man, you've got so many FBS programs in the state of Texas, some of whom I think would be willing to take him. Um you know, like a like a UTRGV that's that's getting ready to to get cranked up and going. Uh, you know, things about UTEP, Sam Houston, Tarleton. Um, there there are enough FBS programs or transitioning to FBS or transitioning to FCS from Division Two that I think would be interested in him. Uh, like I said, just because he's a, you know, oh man, this guy was at Texas. You know, he, he came out of a really good high school program in Longview, playing for John Keane. So I, I think there's. There's still some value left there. Obviously, he's not going to be a guy that, you know, goes on and transfers to LSU or Oklahoma or AM or something like that. But, you know, if you if you want to keep playing, like like you said, Jordan, there's a place, there's a place that'll take you. And I, I think he can he can probably stay in the state of Texas and do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, he should be able to for sure. Um there was uh there's one other player who uh, I was expecting to, or I'm expecting to announce their intentions um, before the bowl game, but they will be ready to go in the bowl game. Originally, I was told that uh, this player was going to do it and leave prior to the bowl game, that the staff was aware, but uh, they've talked to him and they'd like him in the bowl game. So, you know, injuries, stuff like that, don't uh, change some stuff. Not going to say who it is. That's about all I'll say. Um, not my room to break who's going in the portal in that sense, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Um, a couple things I did want to talk about. So I did want to talk about Trey Moore. You laid that out already. I wanted to reiterate something that I said yesterday about that linebackers coaching job. So I, I talked about the one thing that I need in any case you know you missed yesterday's show, you haven't had a chance to go catch it on the on the podcast feed, whatever. Uh, go back and watch it on YouTube. I feel like player development, with the bodies you've got in that linebacker room, player development has to be the, the most important thing, I think, that Sark looks for. You're going to look for as complete a coach as you can, but that's got to be paramount to me, is getting the most out of an Anthony Hill, a Leandro LaFowle, uh, a Samaje Burrell, Darian Gillette, Maurice Blackwell for one more year. You've got some quality bodies in that room. Um, but I also think, too, and this is, is going to go to to one name that's come up that makes sense, Uh like Jordan talked about a scheme. I think scheme slash uh, philosophical compatibility with, with PK probably gonna be somebody he's worked with, but I think at least somebody, maybe not a guy that's been an assistant coach, you know, I haven't gone through the entire Rolodex, but if somebody was a GA for PK, that's now a position coach or whatever, somebody that really knows what he wants to get done, how he wants his defense to function and how he wants line, his linebackers to be coached. And I think the one of the things that made the Texas defense has made it as good as good as it is, is the fact that PK and Jeff Choate worked together before they got back together in Texas. And I think the the time that PK and Jeff Choate and Terry Joseph invested in each other to try to tie the front end with the back end, man, that that's helped this defense. Like Jordan, two years ago, they didn't. I couldn't tell you what kind of coverages they were trying to run. Sometimes I couldn't tell you what kind of fronts they were trying to get in. 
it, it, it was a, it was chaos. It was, a, and I don't say in chaos, not in a good way. It was just a mess. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've clearly invested the time. Now you can tell what kind of defense Texas is trying to be. You can tell what they want to get accomplished. So I think that's a key part of it. But I also think, man, culture fit has to be a really big part of it. And, you know, you go back to when Sark brought Gary Patterson in, into the program. Uh, that was my big concern with Gary Patterson. And that's no knock on GP, but it's, okay, are you willing to basically, and, and I don't say this disparagingly of Gary Patterson because all coaches have this. Are you willing to put aside your ego for the greater good of what's going on here? Because I think a lot, especially former head coaches, can get in there when they're in a lesser role and say, well, I mean, I know, look, well, we did it this way where I was at, and I know how to do it this way. I don't think you're doing that the right way. And all of a sudden, they're trying to take over the meeting room. I've heard about those dynamics happening at at various places, and you can't have that if you're Sark. As hard as you worked on culture and getting the right people in the building, you can't have one bad apple come in and spoil the bunch. Uh, so that brings me to somebody Jake mentions in the chat. Andy Avalos seems like an obvious name, former Boise State head coach, who worked with PK. Seems great, right? Mm-hmm. What are the, why did why was Andy Avalos really fired at Boise? If Andy Avalos is a guy that they want to look at, if I'm PK and I'm Sark, man, I've got to talk to as many Boise people as possible. I got to talk to guys on that staff. I got to talk to whoever I can to get the real answer, as close to the real answer as I believe I can find. On, on why he was fired, what happened, what went down, was was he just was he not treating people the right way? Was the administration not fair to him? Whatever the deal is, man, if you're going to bring somebody in, you, like I said, you can't risk just for the sake of I think this guy's a good football coach. You can't make that hire at the expense of everything you worked so hard to build from a culture standpoint. So I think those three things: player development, I think scheme slash uh, philosophic compatibility and culture fit to me jordan those are the three things that have to be on that checklist for sark yeah um i see a lot of people saying they want a recruiter like man i the way texas is right now and the way uh recruits view texas right now like i feel like i could fill in for (laughs) Like, like it wouldn't like i'd find a way to get at least some like at least a decent three star you know like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things going Texas's way in recruiting in 2023. They're a top four program at the playoffs for the first time program history. Um, Austin is a great city to live in. Players love Austin. Never really hear any bad things about Austin. You the guys Austin. come and visit. They love the I love Austin. They love the campus. Uh, food is great. Women are great. You can make a lot of money there. You can go to the NFL from there. And uh, you can, you know, be in the position to play for a national championship for, you know, the first time in however many years it's been like that in Texas. So a lot of the the program is truly recruiting itself right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what the best of the best programs are set up to be. You know, I'm not saying Nick Saban and Kirby Smart don't got to work hard, but they don't got to work as hard as Sark was having to uh, coming out of being five and seven, you know. The staff doesn't have to work as hard yeah. as they used to, um, but but they but they still will. Yeah, yeah, they, they hold, say yeah. Hold, I want to make that. Your, yeah, yeah. Well, hold hold on. That's that's key because where we've seen coaches at Texas get in trouble is when they realize they're at that position and then they don't work hard, right? Mm-hmm. I man, I uh, I know that's what happened with Mac Brown's staff, um, and I've had guys that were in this that were on that staff that years down the road told me that's exactly what happened. Everybody just got complacent because it's easy. I mean when you go from Vince Young to Colt McCoy, and you're pretty much guaranteed to win 10, 11 games a year, then everybody's going to get complacent. 
But, you know, the Tom Herman staff got complacent coming off that Sugar Bowl. And I'll never forget, I won't say who the coach is, but I was at the team, I ended up at the team hotel the night of the Alamo Bowl when they beat Utah. That staff's kind of last night together. And, you know, bar shuts down. Of course, I, I believe, if I'm right, I think the the play the Texas players and coaches drank the uh, that hotel bar out of – like they were out of beer by the end of the night. And we're leaving, and, you know, the coach and I are parting ways, and he kind of puts his arm around me and says, you know, whatever you guys want to write about how we F this up, y'all are well within your right. He's like, ah, coach, you know – you know, I'll, you know me, I'll be fair. He's like, I know. He's like, but trust me. He's like, from where we were at this time a year ago, he's like, we effed this up. It's our fault. And I'm like, that's some truth. That's some, that's some truth right there. And, and in, in, in subsequent interactions, it's like, yeah, they, they did get complacent. Some of the coaches did get complacent. Some of the coaches did get lazy. And I think that started from the top down. It felt like they had had it made. Sark, the Sark staff doesn't strike me as a staff that's going to do that because you got man, I know Sark does this, Jordan. You you you've known this now, haven't been in this market and followed Sark a little bit. Sark loves recruiting. Like there, there's just some coaches that don't want anything to do with it. There's some coaches that it's just kind of in their blood, man. And then that's just what they do. Sark loves being out on the road. Dude, the guy like Jeff Banks, like Jeff Banks loves recruiting. So I think you just got guys on this staff that legitimately like enjoy that process of being out on the road and evaluating players and forging relationships and chopping it up and talking ball with people. So at the staff is currently constructed. I don't worry about this staff not doing it. And you've got the behind the scenes people that kind of do what they do guys in the player personnel department. You've got guys that are strictly uh, their job strict is, is strictly year round to watch the portal, watch who's going in there. So yeah, I, again, I don't want anybody twisting Jordan's words saying that people are getting lazy on the 40 because that yeah. that's not the case with, uh, with the Sark staff. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. The point I was trying to make was that, like, with the the trajectory and path that Texas is currently on and where they currently are as a program, they do not need to hire someone who is labeled as a recruiter to coach the linebackers. That was just what I was saying. Yeah, recruiter. recruiter. Exactly. Like, they don't they don't need that, man. They, uh, they just need someone who can come in and coach, develop, and – Again, like the program is starting to be in the position to recruit itself. Like you obviously need, you, you don't want just like a slap dick out there <laughs> recruiting, but you know you gotta. There, there are definitely like the order of priorities is is changed from what it would have been, and they're maybe looking for a coach a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. You know, so yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it people, I, I've seen it work both ways at Texas. Um, you know, when Mac rebooted the program coming off that 2010 season, look at that staff he put together. Like, it, when you talk about an all-star staff, that's about as close as you can get. I mean, think about Brian Harson went on to be a head coach. Manny Diaz went on to be a head coach. Major Applewhite went on to be a head coach. And Daryl Wyatt, Stacey Searles has been on national championship staffs. Bo Davis speaks for itself. Oscar Giles has been on a national championship staff. Dwayne Aquino, maybe the best secondary coach in the history of the program. Like you pretty much you had like the best of the best of the best on that staff. And it still didn't result in you getting the kind of recruits you needed to get to turn that thing around. Likewise, I mean, was Charlie Strong's staff perfect? No, by no, by no means was that initial staff perfect. But Charlie would bring guys in. It's like, well, I don't know what this guy's reputation is as a recruiter. How, how can he recruit? And man, by the time some of those guys were done, they ended up bringing 
they were responsible for bringing in some of the best players that Texas had during that era. So the, I had a high school coach, Jordan, one time uh, tell me this. Apparently somebody's saying, I, yeah, my mic is on the fritz today, Bradford. I, I apologize. It's, it's I'm on the struggle bus today. Um, but I had a high school coach, Jordan, one time tell me, you know, he's like, I've seen guys that have gotten that job that have you know, even elevated and gotten hired at Texas. He said, that burnt orange polo, when you walk into a, into a high school and you got that polo on, you got that steer on your shirt, man, that changes the caliber of kid you can get just because of the logo. And it's true. It's true. But I don't want to belabor this too much, but going back to your point, that can also change some coaches in terms of thinking, oh, man, this is easy. Like, why, why can't everybody win in Texas? You, you can get whoever you want. No, not necessarily. It takes work to get there. But I digress. You don't need a, a the, the, the rainmaker recruiter. You just need a damn good football coach. And, and my point about Sark and Jeff Banks and guys like that, like, you know, Jordan, like with Anthony Hill, man, if there's a guy that Sark really wants where they need to put one of their top recruiters, man, they're going to put, you know, whether it's Jeff Banks or, or or Bo Davis or, you know, I don't know, hell, Tashar Choice, whoever it is, they'll, they'll put who he'll, Sark will put whoever he needs on that thing to get the job done. And if it's a big enough name prospect, and we've seen this too with some recruitments, Sark will just throw himself in there full on, and he'll basically be as much of the point man as a head coach can be in college football in 2023. Yeah. Yeah, no, like like you said, man, like these coaches either love recruiting or they don't. And I really do think Sark is someone who loves recruiting. Like, for example, 11 a.m. is everyone's least favorite kickoff time for a list of reasons. 11 a.m. is Sark's favorite kickoff time for home games, for home games, because he likes being able, if they win, which they've been doing a lot lately, they can use the whole rest of the day to recruit at the facility off the good vibes of just watching Texas win as a visitor in DKR. Um, so, they like, he, he loves recruiting, and as shitty as 11 a.m. kickoffs for everyone else, he loves them just so he can recruit. Yeah. But, you know, I, I felt... I, I kind of felt this way, you know, when, when, I'll just kind of walk you through it in terms of you know, the vibe on a campus visit. Um, and I think I've covered maybe one or two junior days or, and stuff like that under Sark. That's been, you know, you or Hank or Mike or Hudson or whoever's been in, in charge of that thing for the most part. But like under Mac, it was like, we do, we, you guys can at least, you know, the compliance will say y'all y'all can hang out like across the street or whatever from Moncrief and you know whatever you do across the street is fine in terms of just seeing who's going in the building and who's coming out. You know, there, when Mac was there, like we couldn't even do that. We weren't allowed to be anywhere on the premises. So it was like it was almost like a like some old school mafia type stuff. Everything was done done, done under the cover of darkness. Um and you kind of got that that didn't really sit well with some guys. Uh, you know, Charlie's staff, it kind of opened up and, and you know, Charlie Strong was great at, at forging relationships. And you kind of got the idea that, man, yeah, it, 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 Texas was kind of a, it, it turned into, for some guys, not all guys, it's, none of this stuff is going to be universal. It turned into more of a fun place to visit. And I think it was like that in the beginning under Tom Herman, but then the vibe, it just felt, maybe fake is the best word to describe it. It just felt like, all right, something, something's off. You know, it's almost like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Like, yeah, on the outside it looks great, but man, there may be some creepy stuff going on 
behind the scenes. I'm not saying anything nefarious. I'm just saying I want you to get in there. It's just maybe not on the outside what you perceive it to be. But Jordan, like Texas under Sark, it looks like a fun play. Like if I'm a recruit and I don't have any skin in the game, like I don't, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. Like Texas isn't one of my top schools or anything. I'm just like completely open. Texas seems like not just because they're winning, like just seeing like the vibe Sark gives off, the vibe this staff gets off. Texas seems like a place that if I was a recruiter, I'd be like, you know what? I I, I want to go there and check it out. I, I just want to see what it's all about. So that looks like a fun place to visit. I don't think you can always say that about Texas. Mm-mm. Sorry, this hilarious tweet. Someone quote tweeted uh, the Tyler Shuck announcement from whenever he announced he's going to Louisville or whatever yesterday. and <laughs> said the transfer portal extended eligibility might put Northwestern Mutual out of business. <laughs> For real, man. How does yeah. Tyler Shuck have years left, man? I don't know. I can't. I really. So there's someone uh, at Louisville that's pretty involved with um, how everything operates over there that I don't talk Jordan's to. Got, Jordan's got your Louisville NIL scoop, believe it or not. Yeah, kind of. Um, and, uh, man, I know the quarterbacks that they were in it for, and they felt really good that they were in it for several guys that are more talented than Tyler Shuck. So, I want to assume that they're like, hey, you are only going to hold the clipboard here and we're not paying you jack. And he's like, okay, got it. I'm coming. And it's something like that. And then they're, they're actually going to go get their quarterback because, like, for the sake of my guy, man, you know, you're going to need something better than Tyler Shuck. Like, and if that's the guy you're going to take, you couldn't have called me to get a to get an eval or something. Like, what are we doing? I'm going to ask you this question, and I think this will put in perspective how much money. And, I, again, I said this kind of in jest, but Louisville's dealing – Louisville doesn't just have, like, old Papa John's money laying around. Like They've got some They got some money. Jordan, if, if, Louisville, if Louisville really wanted to make a run at Dante Moore, let's say, hypothetically, knowing what it's probably going to cost you in NIL dollars to get Dante Moore in your program, could Louisville come up with the money for Dante Moore if they wanted to? Man, so to be honest, like, I don't think they've ever even tried to get it for him. I know for Cam Ward, they feel like they're a dark horse, or at okay. least a few days ago they did. Um, and with, I know what Cameron Rising got paid. Um, Cam Ward and Dante Moore are both better than Cameron Rising. Dante Moore is also going to get paid more than I feel like anyone else because he has he has to do at least two more years before he can mm-hmm. be draft eligible, um, yeah. and that that matters. Um, so Dante will probably be one of, if not the highest paid guys. Cam Ward is also going to get paid a pretty penny, um, and again I know Louisville is in it for him. So if Louisville felt like they're a dark horse for him. Cam Ward has one year left. Um, rising, I'll just say it. He got one point one. Cam Ward is going to get more than that, um, and Louisville knows that. So if they're saying that they feel like they're a dark horse, that means they got at least $1.1 million. So, Yeah, um, Matt Rule wasn't talking out his backside when he was saying it's a good quarterback in the portal, like a really good quarterback in the portal is going to cost you $1 or $2 million. That's, that's, yeah. what, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Man, I, I'm a, man since Cam Ward did, did a, is, a, is a product of Incarnate Ward University, Kind of upset Cam Ward wouldn't consider coming to play at Texas State for G.J. Kenny because, I mean, I don't know how much NIL money, Jordan, I would I would contribute to the collective as an alum, but, I mean, I'd throw in like 50, 60 bucks. 
Yeah. Someone said <laughs> Ward's going to Ohio <laughs> State, probably. Ohio State is trying to get everyone. I actually uh, have it on very good authority that they're trying to get a former five-star from the 2022 class that's a quarterback. Um, but uh, that dude's pretty happy where he's at. Um, so I don't see that one happening. But Ohio State is casting a very wide net in their quarterback search for next year. Um, I don't know why some people were surprised by, damn, I'm blanking on his name, Kyle McCord. Like, <laughs> did y'all watch him play last year? <laughs> like, did y'all watch him? Are we watching the same games? Um, I feel like, not that he's bad, he's still an above average quarterback for FBS, but like, he's not shit compared to what Ohio State usually has. Like, he just, he, he isn't. Um, I mean, you're you're coming off a run. You're coming off a run of guys. I mean, JT Barrett was a really yeah. good, really good yeah, quarterback, that, and then you go from JT Barrett to and granted, Cardell Jones won the national championship of the last few games because he didn't go there to to play school. Um, came here to play football. Yeah. Um. And then, but then you go like Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, CJ, CJ Stroud, all three first round picks. Kyle McCord. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. You know, you get spoiled, man. You get spoiled as a fan base. I know uh, Texas fans, and you know, you go from you had a really good run of quarterbacks. Like you go from, I would say, when I was a kid, like Shane Morenz, I didn't think was that bad. But then you go like James Brown to Major Applewhite to Chris Sims to, <laughs> so said, uh, to Colt McCoy. Jake said Ohio State's going to claim McCord if he does go to another school. It's a win-win for them. Uh, facts. Yeah. Rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. Facts for that, too. But did McCord. Hear, did, you hear, did you hear Joe Burrow's answer when somebody asked him that? When they're like, Ohio State claims you. What do you think of that? And Joe Burrow said, I went to school at Ohio State. I played football at LSU. You know, I see a lot of people have different takes on, the, on Joe Burrow with Ohio State. And I can tell you, like, uh, as of – the summer of 2022, Joe Burrow's on very good authority with Ohio State and vice versa. So uh, I covered Austin Novosad. He was a 2023 quarterback out of Dripping Springs, four-star. He's now the a, dirty, uh, he's a the dirty drip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he from the slums of Dripping Springs. You feel me? <laughs> the, <laughs> no. Uh, the, the, meat, the meat street uh, on, on, in the yeah. intersection of Ranch Road 12 and Highway 290. No, he uh, he played seven-on-seven seven with, the, with the program. I do some work with, um, we always called him slimy Novasad. Um, but ended up at Oregon. He flipped from Baylor to Oregon last second. Um, and that's where he's at right now. But, uh, that summer going into his senior year, A&M, Ohio state, uh, Notre Dame, we're all trying to push for a big flip right there or for a big flip. He ended up staying committed to Baylor. Um, but I do know Ohio state, so this is this is how it kind of went down with Brock Glenn and these quarterback dominoes are always so interesting to go back to. Mm -hmm. um, but they whiffed on Dante Moore. Uh, Dante Moore just wanted a prize to Ohio State, wasn't going to give to anyone. Um, at least that's how it was broken down to me from a coach I talked to at the camp that they offered Brock Glenn at in the summer of 2022. After they missed out on Dante Moore, they decided, okay, we're going to go after Brock Glenn and Nova Sad. We're going to get both these guys up here to camp. They're going to throw and we're going to offer them. And they're going to come in for an OV. And they did that for both of them. They staggered it, though, so they weren't there at the same times. But for Nova Sad's official visit, guess who his host was? For his OV? I have no idea. Joe Burrow. 
That's how bad they wanted Nova Sav is they had Joe Burrow flying from Cincinnati and spend the whole weekend with him on his official visit. And he still said, eh, I'm good. I'm going to Baylor at the time. Man. He's now obviously at Oregon. Man, how did how did Baylor screw that up? Because like you say, he was locked, he was locked in with Baylor until the very end. Like yeah. so it couldn't, it couldn't have, it was like around this time a year ago when Will Stein took the took the Oregon OC job. So you're talking about like the last Baylor had him secured until the last what three weeks? Yeah. So what had happened? Yeah. So what had happened was there was so much stuff to that recruitment that I've never been able to talk about because I couldn't report it at the time. Um, Because like I'd known Austin for Austin Ovisad, I'd known him for a really long time and his family for a really long time because they played in the seven on seven program I do some work with and. you know, whenever you're really, really close to recruits and their families, like it's just really hard to report on it sometimes because they don't they'll tell you everything, but they'll tell you you can't report it, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what was going on with Novosad the last three weeks of last year uh, leading up to signing day. Um, Dillingham had left Oregon to go take the Arizona State head coaching job and everyone knew Dante Moore was going to decommit. Like the day that happened, I was told within an hour that he is not going to Oregon. The next day, Oregon announces they're hiring Stein. Um, Stein coached me in high school. Um, so he has a lot of connections to the Austin area from when he did coach in high school. Um, but also before he was at Lake Travis, he was at UT under as a GA under Herman. The Lake Travis offensive coordinator job opened. Their quarterback was Hudson Card, who was already committed to Texas. Will Stein came in, and Lake Travis ran the exact same offense as Texas for two years. A lot of people actually don't know that. Um, but Herman called Texas and recommended Stein, and he ended up getting hired by Lake Travis. And literally down to the exact same calls for, like, routes, names of everything, Lake Travis ran the exact same offense as Tom Herman's Texas teams. Like, the exact same offense. Which, and, which, uh, is, which is amazing that Will Stein is as good as he is because as much time as he's been around Sean Watson, I'm not even talking about Tom Herman. As much time as Will Stein has been around Sean Watson, that's that's the last guy I want to learn how to run a successful offense from. I'm pretty sure as much as much smack as I've talked about Sean Watson, I've said this before, Jordan. If Sean Watson never saw me out in Gen Pop, he probably punched me in the face. Because I just <laughs> yeah. I made I made no bones about the fact I thought it was a terrible hire. I was just I was uh I'm not gonna lie. I, during Sean Watson's tenure calling plays at Texas, I was felt like I was pretty much an asshole. Like, I was just pretty salty about anything to do with the Texas offense at that point in time because Sean Watson was an easy an easy target, but I digress. Yeah, um, but I, I guess back to my little Nova sad story. Um, I knew that Don Moore wasn't going to Texas, and within an hour of Stein getting the job, um, I got a call from Nova sad saying that Stein hit him up and they're going to do an in-home. Um, so Stein, this is a lot of coaches will do this. Um, and it's really weird, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, Stein knew that he was not going to be coaching at UTSA much longer. He also was Austin Novosad's second offer. It was UTSA. The first offer was Baylor. He had known Austin for a really long time. Um, and also whenever Will Stein was coaching at Lake Travis, he did a lot of work through like FBU and the local Austin area youth football stuff. Mm-hmm. So he met Novosad when he was like in middle school. They've known each other for a long time. He was one of his first offers. 
And then he knew he was never getting Novosad at UTSA, but he was still in communication with him and talking to him a bunch, knowing there's a chance he could get hired somewhere, and he knew that Novosad was the guy he wanted. That happened. So he gets a job at uh, Oregon. Basically, Oregon is doing everything they can to get Dante Moore to stay. Um, and they went in-home with him. They told him he wasn't coming over the in-home. From then, they pivoted and uh, scheduled Austin Ovisad to come up on an official visit literally the last weekend. And that was scheduled for like a week and a half, and I could not report it, and no one else had it. It was very, very frustrating. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't put in a crystal. I actually promised Novosad I wouldn't put in a crystal ball if I found out right away. Uh, but I had to get I had to get the news from someone at Baylor, and I told him this is how it happens. I got to put in a pick, man, because it's gonna get out, mm-hmm. and that's how it happened. Um, but yeah, he told me I was like, "Are you gonna post an offer? How is this gonna work with the woo?" And he's like, "Yeah, like they haven't offered me yet, but they're saying they're gonna offer me on the OV, and they want me to flip, and that's what we're gonna do." And I was like, "Okay." He committed to Oregon on the visit, um, and then didn't call Baylor until the night before and he's on the phone with them for a few hours and you know the next morning 6 a.m the morning of signing day he's deep fried and edited with oregon duck um by hayes fawcett so it, it's it's weird man not to not to have our daily what's wrong with baylor segment but man i know if you're if you're jeff grimes and, and david randa and that whole staff and I don't care who you are, man. If you're Texas, if you're Ohio State, Georgia, you don't leave yourself in a position where you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Especially, especially if you're if you're Baylor, understanding what your NIL setup is and knowing that hey, there are going to be other P five schools, maybe more high profile P five schools that are going to come try to poach a quarterback. You gotta, you either have to have Plan B already in motion done or at least have it to where you know you can you can pivot to plan b without being like well don't have a quarterback i don't know what we're gonna do like so you see that was another thing i didn't even bring up there's a way bigger problem to all of that too so nova said they offered him the summer going into his junior year yeah mm-hmm. now the uh fall slash i guess winter of his junior season he was really close to committing to Baylor. Baylor knew it. Um, this was around the week of signing day for the 2022 class. So this was December of 2021. Um, Baylor called him and said, hey, we have a kid in the in the 22 class named Zach Pyron. Uh, he was from Alabama. He's either a low four-star, high three-star kid. Um, he had previously committed to Baylor, was committed for about eight months, and then decommitted because he thought he would get bigger offers, but he, ne- he just never did. Um, it's always and a so wise move. he kept trying to commit back to Baylor and they didn't have a quarterback. They were going to take him. They're calling Novosad and saying, Hey, this kid is trying to come to Baylor. If you promise us, you will commit to us. We promise you, we will not take him and we will not take a quarterback in the 2022 class. And he promised them he was going to Baylor. So they told Zach Pyron to go shove it. He ended up at Georgia tech. He's actually now in the portal, I think. But uh, he ended up at Georgia Tech. And Novosad waited until the day after signing day. And uh, that year, I remember, because it was on my birthday, it was December 15th. Novosad committed to Baylor December 16th. 
um, and remain committed until signing day of the next year. Um, so Baylor the screwed play. themselves by not having a 2022 quarterback. They didn't get one in 2023 either because he kind of left them at the altar at 6 a.m. on signing day. And in 2024, their quarterback isn't even a top 100-ranked quarterback in the country by us. Uh, it's a kid from California. Um, and then they got Sawyer Robinson out of the portal, but, like, you know, that didn't work out, and they lost shape into the portal already. So, well, like, it's Sawyer, a shit show, man. Sawyer Robertson in that Jeff Grimes offense, man, it, it felt like square peg round hole. Like, it just didn't yeah. doesn't fit him at all. Now, Jake Spavadol there, I will say this. Say what you want about Spav. The offense Spav is going to run, it fits Sawyer Robertson much yeah. better than what they were doing last year. Um, and real quick, Jordan, uh, I want to. I got a couple Texas things in the chat I want to get to. Um, but real quick, you think Tech does anything for a portal quarterback? Or are they they pretty good with with Baron Morton and I guess Will Hammond from Hutto coming in as their high school tape? Do you feel like they're good, or they might look for something? Uh, well, I mean, they had three scholarship QBs this year. Right now, they're set to have three next year. I think they'll be good. I think they're gonna play Baron Morton. I know they love Will Hammond. Shout out Will Hammond, by the way. I was actually who found him, by the way, and told him to make a Twitter account because he was uh he's a juice kid as well. Um, he's good. Yeah. The pride of the the fighting Jeremy Curley's from out in Hutto. Damn right. Um and uh yeah, I, I think they'll they'll probably say there's a quarterback competition, but uh Baron Morton, I think, is your starter for next year. Um okay. and they have a freshman that's on the roster right now named Jake Strong, who I saw in high school and was always like, whoa. Um, I'd expect Will Hammond to be the second string over that guy next year. Uh, two two things, two Texas things I want to get in the chat before Trey and BK hop on. Uh, anyone think of a comp for viewers at the pro level? Mine has always been, and I guess it's just the way Quint throws the football, the, the way he throws it at a certain, a certain arm angle. Um, kind of. Philip Rivers has always kind of been my comp for Quinn Ewers, just from a mechanic standpoint. That's the closest one I can I can come up with. Because he's not um, – I mean, I guess you could say Matt Stafford maybe, but I think Stafford was a little more – I don't know. I don't know the right word to use. It just just the joint flexibility to his athleticism, a little looser than Quinn it seemed like. But I don't know if that makes any sense, Jordan. But, yeah, Philip Rivers is kind of the guy I've always looked at as like that's probably probably the closest thing to, to Quinn. Maybe that's the biggest compliment to Quinn though is that I haven't really seen a good comp for him. Yeah. Um now so DJ, you mentioned Jeff George. Here's the difference, man. Jeff George is one of those dudes that could, I mean, kneel down at the 50 and throw it through the uprights or whatever. Like he like insanely strong arm, Jeff George. As good an arm as Quinn has, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's Jeff George. Now, if you want to tell me Malik Murphy has like a, a Jeff George type arm strength, then yeah, I might, you know, if he's like one of these Kyle Bowler, Jeff George, Jamarcus Russell guys that can, you know, throw it 90 yards or whatever in the air. Yeah, Malik, Malik might be one of those guys. I don't know that Quinn quite is. Yeah. I saw someone asked about um uh alfred collins that's the other one i was gonna bring up yeah yeah i i honestly you don't really find out stuff on guys unless you directly ask about them and i haven't directly asked about alfred um my view on it though is it with what the measurements he has and the type of athlete he is 
he's going to be a sixth or seventh rounder or go undrafted and someone will give him a shot because he's going to test like a freak at the combine and they'll watch his film and be like, wait, what happened? You know? So I think if he comes back, he could, again, we had him as a five-star out of high school because of the intangibles. Like all that stuff is still there. It's all still there. He's a freak. He's a freak. It's all still there. So I can see him coming back and balling the hell out and, Going as early as second round, I don't think first round. I feel like we can actually mark that off the table. But, you know, day two guy, like, he can boost his stock. Because right now, man, I feel like there's no way it's higher than a sixth. There's no way. I I could see somebody pulling the trigger in the fifth. Just looking at, if you put enough of, if you, if the right, like, here's the deal. Like, and I don't know exactly how this works, but I'm going to envision this happens. If the right scout that really wanted to stand on the table for Alfred Collins put the right clips together for the D-line coach. <laughs> and the PowerPoint and, in the right order. And the D-line coach is like, you're telling me this dude is 6'5", 310 pounds, ran sub 4'8", and did all this, and you're telling me these clips? Man, I'm I'm jumping for the phone in our, with our fifth-round pick to grab Alfred Collins. I mean, somebody's going to take a chance on him on day three of the draft just because of everything Jordan talked about. Um, yeah, Seth, shout out to my guy Snoop Daniel, who once predicted Alfred Collins was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. I don't think Alfred would be that this year. But um, I think he I think he would be better off coming back for another year. Now, will he? Uh, that's going to be – Jordan, you know. I mean, that's going to be a decision. Uh, Sark was not lying when he talked about it. I mean, that's going to be Sark and Alfred's mom and Alfred sitting down and looking at everything and really trying to decide what's best. Like, that's – that's a family, just like his recruitment, that's a family that's going to sit down and make a very, very measured decision. Like, they're they're going to make sure, you know, all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted, no stones left unturned, and then they'll come up with what they feel is the best decision. It's not going to be, uh, you know, just some kind of knee-jerk type deal. Yeah, and, and with, with Alfred, too, another thing, like, with the, with, the, with the draft stock, like, I feel like a part of the conversation will be like, look, man, like the reason you haven't been getting draft grade that you wanted is because, you know, like effort level sometimes and putting all your eggs into this basket. Mm-hmm. Unless that changes, you know, after that, like him coming back, that's they're going to probably be like, it has to be different. It just has to. Um, you can also make the choice like, OK, you know, whatever, I'll just go get paid and try to earn a second contract in the league and just go undrafted and gamble that right now you know i don't know it's it's a lot to think about for him as bk joins us and trey will be here momentarily like when i look at alfred collins tell me tell me why alfred collins can't be chris jones um he's not he's not good (laughs) but i think it goes back i think he could be good (laughs) that that's that's always been alfred's thing it's like he has he, he could be good Trey, I don't, I don't know if y'all heard me talking about Alfred Collins with Jordan's like, hey, he's probably gonna be undrafted. I'm like, no, no, no. If, if you're if you're a scout that wants to stay on the table for Alfred Collins, you you know the combine numbers, the testing will speak for itself. You find all the great Alfred Collins clips. Don't show the bad stuff. Just show the good stuff and get it to the D line coach. That D line coach will be punching scouts and assistant GMs in the face trying to get to the phone to draft Alfred Collins yeah, in the fifth I mean- round. Yeah, he's always had that potential. I mean, coming out of high school, and it just hasn't quite clicked. Now, it feels like he's put more of it together this year than he did in his previous three years in Austin. But, yeah, the consistency that we wanted to see from Alfred Collins just hasn't quite shown up yet. So, 
Uh, I'd love for him to come back for another year if he can. And maybe Texas has enough good defensive linemen in the league to where teams could really talk themselves into drafting an Alfred Collins. Maybe that would also help his case. But uh, I'd like to thank another year and with him being a starter, because you assume, Tavon, well, we know Tavondre's gone and maybe Byron Murphy's gone too. So there'd be yeah, some they're both, they're both gonna be gone. Yeah. They probably both should be gone. Uh, yeah, a chance for him to start and get all of those reps, I would think would help him. But I, I, I don't know if he just kind of is what he is at this point, guys. I don't know. I'm, I don't, I can't, I can't give up on, on six, five, 310 pounds and yeah. athletic. I can't, I can't yeah. do that. I know, I know we got to get out of here, but I just wanted to ask if you could confirm this, Jeff. So I was told Alfred Collins recruitment was all before my time, really. Um, but I was told that, uh, it was coming down to signing day. He was going to sign on signing day and he announced like, I will be announcing my commitment by popping a balloon at the gym, at the ceremony, and, like, confetti's going to come out of the school I'm going to. And mm. this, this is from a uh, friend of the show, Nick Harris, who used to work with Horns 24-7, now at the Cowboys. He uh, he told me him and Mike figured it out right away because his top three was Bama, OU, and Texas. Hmm. And if he was going to pop a balloon and something was going to come out, it could only be Texas. And once they that thought went through their heads right after Alfred tweeted out the details or whatever, they yeah. crystal balled him. Like, is, is that true? Yeah, it's something like that. I, we all kind of knew by the end that it was it yeah. was going to be Texas. This is like Chris Warren still swears he picked Texas over Washington on a coin flip. Like, I'm I've called BS on that story for years. Chris swears up and down it really happened. I know I know the Texas staff was pissed off something fierce that it can't it proceed to come down to a coin flip. But yeah, kids do. I don't know. Side this, I'll be old man yelling a cloud on the signing day antics tray. I just, I have, I have little patience for it. I was on the fence as to whether or not Alfred Collins would make sense for an NFL team. Now that I just found out that he went gender reveal party <laughs> for his college yeah. recruitment, I'm out on Alfred Collins. But at least he didn't burn the gym down in the process, you know. Hey, yeah, you guys want to know what my wife and I did for our gender reveal? This is how elaborate we did. I called, I called the doctor's office. And I said, yeah, we just want the sex of the baby. We're supposed to know today. They're like, and I swear the nurse asked me like five times, are you sure you want to know? I'm like, yes, just tell me. We want to know now. Well, you're having a girl. I was like, awesome, great. Called my wife. And then a few weeks later, we announced it on Facebook. That's how we did a gender reveal. You actually found out before your wife did. Yeah, because she was at work. She's like, yeah, just call the doctor, find out, and then call me. I think that's a spectacular way to do it, Jeff. Kudos to you. I have more faith in you as an NFL prospect than Alfred Collins. <laughs> well, I, I work. I work. I work cheap. I work cheaply. I work cheaply. <laughs> I figured you would have done the whole hat deal. You know, put the hats on the table in front of you and had a blue hat, a pink hat, and a non-binary color hat. I don't know what that would look like. Great. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's the right answer. The baby gets to decide. So that's what the hat's yeah. going to be. Yeah. So that was my gender reveal. There you go. Well, like, th that right. was not yours. That was your daughter's. Well, yours, yeah, my daughter's yours was, reveal. I think yours was revealed a long time before that. <laughs> yeah, about, about 40 years ago at this point, <laughs> somewhere around there. I come uh, from the era where I guess you could have found out, but my parents chose not to. And after, because the husband was never in the delivery room with yeah. the wife back in the late 1970s. I was born in early 1978. So my dad was just waiting in the hallway 
and it either popped uh, one sign was boy and the other sign was girl and it popped boy and he jumped up in the air because he wanted a son. See, my dad, my mom and dad were hoping for a daughter after my older brother was born. And then by the time my little brother was born, they were both like, F it, we're done. It's three, three's enough. We're, we're tapping out. We're waving the white flag. So. <laughs> you always felt like I would go that route if I only had girls, like just so desperate for that son. And fortunately, we got the son on, on try number two. Hey, I knew, I knew my wife and I, we knew we were one and done. So this was, this was it, regardless of, regardless of whichever way the cookie crumbled, that was going to be it. So. Very, very happy, though. There we go. Awesome kid. All right, Trey, BK, have a great show, guys.